0: Good morning, everyone. Um, today's reading is John six chapters uh, verses one to 14. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for all of these people to eat? He said this, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, also, also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told the disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments they, of five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. Amen. Good morning, and thank
1: you again for welcoming me here to Bloomsbury Central Baptist. And happy anniversary, 173 years old. You don't look a day over 150 years, so you're doing well. Now, anniversaries are a great opportunity to reflect on the past and to think towards the future. And last month, I was part of a group that hosted an online retreat for student chaplains to do a similar thing. The online retreat was a a day to reflect on the past year and to think about what we'd like to see the year ahead look like. We were led by Stephen Hoyland, from the Jesuit Spirituality Center. And I want to give thanks and credit to Stephen, first of all, for what I'm about to share with you. He led us through a great day of reflection, which included a reflection on the passage that you just heard. Using the practice of imaginative prayer, we put ourselves inside that passage. It's a great practice, imaginative prayer, Very well and long used, and I encourage you to try it at home sometime as part of the practice you put yourself in the middle of the scenario that you're hearing you get in touch with the tastes, the feelings, the smells really picture yourself in the middle of the story. And while we can't do that today, unfortunately we don't have time, maybe you'll be able to take the reading home with you and and practice this at some point during the week. Today, I'd like to encourage you to use some of those elements from imaginative prayer um, as we look at this passage. Consider the attitudes and the actions of the different people involved and our responses to them, especially in the light of reflecting on the past, maybe this past year specifically, and what may lie ahead. So I'm going to read the passage through again, so that you can take this opportunity to put yourself inside the story. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So where do we see ourselves in this passage? Do we see ourselves in these different people, the individuals we heard about? Do we align ourselves with particular individuals when we think back on the past year or the past 16 months? And maybe not even ourselves as individuals, but as a church community. It's a very unique year to reflect on. How did we meet the idea of lockdown? How did we meet the idea of church buildings closing? The separation, the disruption, the uncertainty? Did we meet it with a Philip mindset, who when met with the idea of feeding thousands immediately identified it as impossible? Did we see the situation before us and think, We'll never be able to make this work. This is a lost cause. We can't possibly meet everyone's needs. Or maybe we see ourselves more as the boy with a few loaves and a little fish. There's not really enough here to do anything with, so I'm not even gonna bother mentioning it or bringing it up. What good could that possibly do until someone else points it out on your behalf? How embarrassing. Or maybe we see ourselves as the crowd, the ones in need, waiting to be fed. Or maybe yet still, we might see ourselves as the disciples gathering up the fragments of the broken and left behind so that nothing may be lost. And there's one not yet named. Maybe we hope, we pray, we can see our church community truly as the body of Christ, giving thanks for the abundance we have and feeding those in need so that no one goes away hungry. I know that for me, there have been so many times in the past year when I've shared with others my feelings of inadequacy that during this time of global pandemic, I felt I wasn't doing enough. Maybe you also had this feeling of being overwhelmed, that we can't possibly meet the need that we're faced with because there were so many in need, so many hurting. Where could I possibly find the wherewithal to meet that need? But for your church, for this Bloomsbury Central Baptist community, celebrating 173 years of mission and ministry, you have and continue to meet the need. And it may not always be in the way you expected or in the way that's been envisioned, but God in steadfast love, continues to work through us. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the love of Christ, God keeps taking those loaves and fishes, takes the doubt and the meager offerings, and all are fed. In reading the history of Bloomsbury Baptist, we see this again and again through the war as a refuge center, first aid post, opening your doors to hospitality for luncheons, and the most recent visible involvement in social justice issues, this church continues to challenge itself again and again to meet the needs of the community. In this passage from John, we're not only shown who Jesus is as the one who feeds us with abundant life, but we're also shown who we are called to be through him. Jesus responds to human need, working through the unexpected. Now, barley is known as the cheap bread the common bread. So it's worth noting that barley is specifically named as the loaves in this passage. Because Jesus shares out God's love through the common stuff, the ones that are usually overlooked. Those elements which we might normally discount may be just what's needed. Rooted in God's love, we are brought together as the body of Christ to go out and respond to the human need we see. Rooted in God's love, this church in both building and body has moved to change, not superficially with the times, but moved to change in order to nurture faith and build community to confront injustice, create sanctuary, and deepen relationships, just as your mission statement puts you out to be. As Bloomsbury Baptist celebrates its past, but also looks to the future, I'm reminded of a great quote about the church and our fondness for traditions of the past. It fits well when also reflecting on the past as a place to visit, but not a place to live. This quote comes from Yaroslav Pelikan, an American historian of religion, and he writes, Tradition is the living faith of dead people to which we must add our chapter while we have the gift of life. Traditionalism is the dead faith of living people who fear that if anything changes, the whole enterprise will crumble. As this church continues to hold the faith of those who went before, I look forward with much anticipation to read the chapter you will be adding to this story. And let us end with a prayer. Loving God, we pray for the grace to better know the invitation and working of the Spirit within our work and within our lives. Amen. Amen.
2: A reminder to those who are joining us online uh, that we would welcome your contributions. We're going to have a few moments now of reflection as has become our way, where we have a chance to respond to uh, what it is that we have heard God saying to us. Uh, through the Bible reading, through the worship and particularly through the words of the sermon. So uh, I'm going to ask uh, Liz if she would come up and Fifi if you could unblank the screens in the church and spotlight Duncan as well. I think Duncan is going to join us. Down the line, uh, so we should be able to see him on the screens as well. Um, but just a reminder to so those of you who are in the church: you may have thoughts uh, that have come to you, uh, and that may come to you as we go along, and I'd value hearing from you as well. So uh, don't be afraid to speak out if that's if you feel you have something to contribute as well. Um, so I'll. Just say, I was really struck as you were finishing, Sarah, by uh, that that definition of uh, the difference between tradition and traditionalism. I love that tradition is the living faith of dead people. Um, Many of you will know that there there are moves sometimes within church renewal uh, circles to throw away all the traditions, start again, uh, fresh expressions, different types of church, that kind of thing. And and there's a bit of me as somebody who has inhabited traditional church for many years that says, we're not dead yet. We have vast traditions that are, I love it, the living faith of dead people and it's the voices of in a daylight today. I remember once hearing Brian Haynes preaching here and he pictured all the generations that had gone before sat there in the empty gallery and the living congregation were downstairs. Well, I'm gonna extend that to those who are joining us online as well, but let's just imagine that all those generations before are crowding the gallery, cheering us on as we are the living expression of their faith. So that's my immediate thoughts. Uh, Liz, can we perhaps hear from you? What, what struck you?
3: I think um, even during the, the the bible reading um before hearing um the, the sermon uh, the, the the thing that really strikes me in this passage is the um the concept of uh, gathering up the fragments left over so so that so that nothing may be lost um the reason being you've got this amazing um miracle that's happened and you've got um you know this uh, everyone being fed and needs being met, but it strikes me as being a bit weird that then the, the, it's referred to that things are gathered up afterwards. It's like, well, these are the bits that people didn't want to eat. And these are the, you know, the, this is the leftovers. And it just reminded me of uh, perhaps pre-pandemic times of post-parties where you've got, um, you know, all of the things you've got to clear up and all the rubbish and, you know, the, the thing you really don't want to do on the day of the party. And um, so, so that just really made me think about it and I was thinking about the pandemic and how um it it's been a really hard time and we we've kind of like able to say well we've got through it we've done quite well with the technology you know we've managed to to pivot online and we've managed to do this that and the other but we're also acutely aware that it now feels quite messy and um it's um you know that it's like there is a lot of bits and pieces around and, and things that we haven't quite sorted out yet and and um when we're thinking about coming back into the church how are we going to keep the online community going and um and there's also loss as well, and we're acutely aware. There's people that we haven't seen for quite a while. There's been people who haven't fared so well through the pandemic and and with the tran- uh, transforming onto to, to the online service. And and so it kind of feels a bit like a start of something. So like a a sort of yeah post party because hey we've got through things. And but also a, a what's going to be next thing. And I, I think. Um, I love the the idea uh, thinking about this that it's not always as expected. Uh, I think that we get, can get so used to listening to these stories that we forget that actually this wasn't at all what was expected. you know you, you don't expect fish and bread to suddenly be able to feed a lot of people and and I think that but I also like to hold on to the idea that you've got these baskets of what's left over, and actually there's probably enough for another party and and we we need to hold on to the fact that that it is very messy at the moment but um but there is still something new coming, and there is, and and we, you know, we're all together, and we're all now trying to tidy up stuff, and we're trying to, to, to plan for the future, and and yeah, but there is hope there as well, even though that I am aware there's a lot of loss as well.
2: Liz, mm-hmm. thank you for that insight. That's really helpful. Uh, Duncan, mm-hmm. you're joining us down the line. Uh, so, would you like to offer us perhaps some of your reflections or thoughts on today's sermon? Well, thank,
4: oh, thank you. you. I'll turn down the sound here. We can hear you, that's fine. Thank you, I got a lot out of that uh, sermon. Um, I like the fact that it started with uh, um, channeling the Jesuit Roman Catholic uh, through the Lutheran to the Baptists. (laughs) That was a nice touch for our anniversary. Thank you for that. Um, And when you asked me to put myself into the story uh, and we heard the story again, Uh, It it, it took me to my job, really, which is a writer and a journalist. Uh, I read through copy twice, uh, three times, four times, five times before I handed over to be published. And so going through the words again was interesting to me. And I was was fascinated by the way in which the conversations were recorded and the the locations were noted and the characters, names were used. You know, the story is often used about um, how the world's meagre resources need to be distributed more fairly so that the people in developing countries don't starve while the rich waste food. And I, I still think that's a great theme to draw from that story. That's actually one of the issues which I was looking at this week as a journalist, because I was writing a report about the relationship between your country, the United States and China. We were discussing what Biden's going to do if he meets Xi later on this year. It's a map of China behind me, by the way. Um, and one of the things that I learned is that the Americans keep China from starving. So last year, the Americans sold $20 billion worth of soybeans to China, which they use for food and cattle food and so on. And they also sold a huge number of pigs to China. The story goes that millions of people have been lifted out of poverty in China, and that's been one of the ways in which global starvation has been prevented. It's actually an interaction between these two countries with very different ideologies, which has achieved that. There is a great debate at the moment in America in particular about whether or not China is an authoritarian country and there should be a decoupling, and that's a political issue here in the UK as well. But that independence was highlighted to me by my research. It has prevented most people from going hungry, hungry in China, but there had to be a lot of compromises along the way. And perhaps that, that, that's a situation that will continue. Um, so I rather actually probably <laughs> think that I would, if I was putting myself into the, into the journalistic point of this, I'd like to do more research about how that miracle took place, because there's some some lines in there that seem to be missing from the story. What was the bit between getting the bread and the fish out of the basket and then at the end when people say, oh, this is the sign of a prophet? I I think I'd like to get a little bit more depth into the reporting on those points.
2: Duncan, thank you. Um, I think your, your, your question that you ended with there chimes a little bit with um, Jeff's comment online. Jeff says, I always wondered with this story, where did the 12 baskets for the fragments come from? I think this story is an exposure of selfishness. The women, almost certainly the women, had brought food for their families, however the crowd was not honest about what it had to share. And churches these days have bring and share lunches, so we have partially learned something. I mean, there is this kind of question about the miraculous: did it happen, or didn't it? And if it did, how did it happen? Uh, for me, I tend to find those are less interesting questions than the significance of the miracle story. Um, but I, I mean, there, there is that question to ask. Uh, but then I think that the question: of, so what does it mean? Is the one that really. Uh, strikes me as interesting, and Micah uh, online, and he says, first of all, always nice to hear from a fellow American immigrant. So greetings from Micah, who's probably in the Lake District at the moment, but is from the States. Uh, He says, I love the two different interpretations of this passage, that on the one hand, Jesus provided the miracle and gave out the food, but in the other, Jesus simply offered the little boy his hand and everyone else offered the little they had too, until there was more than enough. There is always abundance if we will ourselves, if we simply will ourselves, to see the ways God is already at work. Michael, I think that's really interesting. Um, I spend quite a lot of time doing stuff with Sam Wells from St. Martin in the Fields, and Sam's approach to church life uh, is what he calls an asset-based approach rather than a deficit-based approach. Sam says, God has already given the gifts to the church that we need for the ministry that we are called to. And we can either be stuck in a mindset that goes, there aren't as many people as there used to be. The money's running out, the building's crumbling. We get stuck in a deficit mindset. He says, focus on the assets, focus on where the life is, focus on what God is doing. And then the miracle happens because it's God gives us the grace and the abundance to be the people we're called to be. Uh, I wonder if anybody in the church any of the congregation would like to offer any comments or reflections if you do just kind of indicate to me and speak to me and I'll repeat it on the microphone that's probably the way you have to do it COVID wise does anybody have any reflections you'd like to offer we're going to get the silence Dawn I'll try and paraphrase that for people who are not in the building. Uh, Dawn was imagining herself and her family with the twins in the crowd, and they're hungry and they're getting a bit fractious, and everybody's hot. And then she was remembering how the story does end, you know, with a happy ending. And actually, maybe sometimes you need to take a bit of a step back and see the big picture and realize, you know, you're not on your own in this. And there are other people around to support you and focusing on the strengths and the assets that are there rather than getting stuck in the, oh, my goodness, we're all having a big fight because everybody's hungry and hot. Is that that a fair summary of this? Thank you for engaging with Sarah's invitation to enter imaginatively into the story as well. And I would encourage others to, to do that as you continue to reflect on this.
4: Thank you, Simon. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for all the ways in which you have acted through this church community for 173 years. We rejoice that so many people from all kinds of backgrounds and places of origin have been included for many generations. Like us, they came here to be challenged and inspired. They asked questions, some of which remain on our minds. We thank you for the problems that have been overcome, the arguments that have been resolved, and the dark times that have been endured. In this difficult era, we pray that you will kindle in us fresh hope for the future. Help us to develop as a Christian community, to adapt and to grow, to keep considering the Bible and holding the words of Christ in our collective conscience. We're sorry for the times when we've been indifferent to aspects of our responsibility or lost our sense of purpose or been distracted by things that don't really matter. We acknowledge that we could have been more generous, more inclusive, and we recognize that there are times when people have questioned our integrity as a church and as individuals because our behavior seemed out of sync with the values we profess. Grant us courage to examine our faults and bring us towards a willingness to change. Lord, as a new form of freedom dawns with some restrictions on our society eased, we remember that there are many people who still feel trapped or threatened by COVID. We think especially of people with symptoms or long COVID. We mourn with those who have lost family and friends. We acknowledge that thousands of people are still self isolating or could be about to be pinged by the NHS telling them to self isolate. And we pray that you would grant patience to those facing anxiety, frustration, and uncertainty. On the eve of our so called Freedom Day, remind us of the freedom that comes through faith in you. Focus our attention on the words and actions which will be most helpful and impactful. Loving God, divine guide of our church for 173 years, lead the way for those of us here now and those that will follow. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: So go into God's world with love, hope, joy, and faith in your hearts. And may the blessing of almighty God, creator, redeemer and sustainer be with you all today and forevermore. Amen.